Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to This Spiritual Fix, Episode 18, Season 2. Today, Anna is going to be talking about Ram Das and everything she's learned from him as her new guru. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hi, Anna. Hey, Christina. We're in person. We are in person. It's so exciting. Welcome back to Atlanta. Thank you. I guess. (laughs) It's different. I mean, like every time I come here, I kind of am like... I feel nostalgic for my childhood and for the times that I've had. And then I'm also kind of relieved a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Over it. A little over it. Yeah. Yes. So today we're talking about someone near and dear to my heart, which is Ram Das, an amazing guru. But first, before we get into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you and I were discussing before the episode, which was how insignificant we all can be and how death our egos can be, I should say, because obviously our souls are important, but our egos are just so insignificant to the grand scheme of things. And we were kind of discussing how kind of sad that is. Yeah. Yeah. It it was interesting because for me, this started with, I had a close colleague of mine die at work and immediately I was like very sad about missing him even though I hadn't seen him in quite a while because he had a a terminal illness. But like, I was struck by the fact that I was actually more upset about, or at least in the moment, I was more upset about the fact that things just carried on. Like this was such a major person in the company and yet work carried on. And so many people are like, well, they would want work to carry on. I was like, really? (laughs) I was like, really? Like, cause I know that if I died, I would want people to spend five minutes just being like, Hey, let's not do anything for five minutes or an hour or two. Didn't his ghost cause you all to get gastritis? Yeah, that was the really (laughs) weird part of this. And if anyone from work is listening to this then you can ask me about this, but you know, it was really, really strange because like me and at least one other person and possibly another person who were all close to him. I was close at work to him. And obviously these other people were like his best friends all got some sort of crazy gastroenteritis 
in different countries at the same time that was completely explicable. And they all had very similar symptoms, like they lasted for six to eight days, like all sorts of stuff. And so finally, for me to get over it, I needed to to appease like I kind of needed to appease appease his spirit in some way and like just spend a moment like that's one of the things that I did was I was just like I'm not like I'm upset by the fact that things haven't stopped but I haven't stopped you know like it was it was one of those things where it was like I can be upset about this but I'm actually not doing better than any of the things that I'm upset about and I just couldn't help but think how insignificant I felt because like if I died you know would that stop anybody like no one from my work would even come to my funeral right like or maybe they might but you know like physically couldn't do that like there'd be no pause there'd be no nothing and so I just felt this real sense of like what are we doing this for what are we killing ourselves for so to speak we use this language all the time you kill yourself at work you you feel all this stress you have mental health things because of stress you have all this stuff it's like why are we doing any of it when if we die, even in the middle of doing it, like even even while we're still here and after we retire, like we die early, we die in the middle of doing our job, still nothing stops. Right. When my mom died, someone told me this quote and it was like, wow. It was, when someone dies, the quote is, everything has changed, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. Like life just carries on and then something huge has happened. Yeah. And then it's not the same and, and you see it and you see it with this person. It's like the lagging indicators, you know, like it's like you're seeing people come, get out of work for stress related things that never would have happened if that person was there. And it's like their absence has created this vacuum, but it's very hard to pinpoint the vacuum, but still it feels insignificant at first. But you've also had a very simple, similar thing with insignificance, right? Well, similarly, I had a situation where a friend stood me up, we could say, made plans, but then didn't let me know that they were canceled. And I felt stood up, I should say, because obviously I wasn't stood up necessarily. But it really made me mad. It made me really upset. And I was kind of wrestling with why am I so upset about this? And I was at work going to my patient's home and I saw a swamp monster out of the corner of my eye and I'm like oh swamp monster that's not real there's something in my (laughs) psyche trying to call attention so I put myself into alpha which we discussed how to do that in another episode on on brainwaves and trance I put myself in alpha so that I could get a really better clear view of him and then boom he was just like clearer as pot you know he was like a six foot tall buff swamp man made of green skin with like slimy, uh, slimy, mossy moss all over him. Yeah, and it was yeah. Kind of like melting where he's standing, but yet he stayed. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? I do. Yeah, I, he was a swamp man. Yeah, yeah, he was like the thing from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I look at him and I'm like, okay, so I know you're here to talk to me about why I'm so upset about being stood up, and. What primal wound are you? He's like, I'm actually three. And I'm like, oh, really? He's like, yep, I'm injustice, abandonment, and humiliation all rolled into one. 
And I'm like, okay, so I did the feed your demon exercise where you just give them whatever they want. I'm like, okay, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? He's like, I want you to really feel how unjust it is to care about someone who doesn't care about you back or to love someone more than they love you back or to want something more than it wants you back. And he kind of showed me the image of like wanting a car, say, and the car doesn't want you back or you'd have it because mm-hmm. of like the law of attraction. So he was just like, it's, it's the injustice of wanting something that doesn't want you back. I was like, okay, yeah, that fucking sucks. He's like, all right, and I want you to wrestle with the abandonment of it. And I'm like, okay. He goes, how it feels to be forgotten and dismissed and erased and abandoned when someone forgets you. And I'm like, yeah, that fucking hurts too. And he's like, okay, and I want you to go into the humiliation of it. And I'm like, okay. He's like, now this one has a lot. He's like, I want you to feel how humiliating it is to be vulnerable to someone and they don't even remember you. And I want you to feel how humiliating it is, humiliating it is to look forward to seeing someone who for, who can't even remember that you guys were going to see each other. Yeah. And I want you to think about how humiliating it is to know that you are this great meditator, spiritual path, primal wound, shadow worker, and you're still getting really tripped up in something like this. How fucking embarrassing for you. I'm like, yeah. And he told me other, you know, other ways to be ashamed. And I, and I was, <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, so what do you want from me? I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling all these fucking primal wounds. What else do you want? I'll give it to you. He's like, I want you to fucking die. And I'm like, okay. And he takes his swamp hands and he strangles my neck. And at this point now I'm in the elevator <laughs> and I'm being suffocated by the swamp monster in the elevator. And I allow myself to die. And now I do this just in my mind, imagining I'm like, okay, he wants me to die. I'm going to die. And I imagine myself just turning into ashes and poof, falling into the earth. And so there's a pile of ash on the elevator floor now. And I'm like, okay, I died for you. What do you want? He's like, I want you to see how fucking insignificant you are. Look at you. You're just ash. When you die, there's going to be nothing left of you of ashes and dust. And after your children and maybe your children's children forget you, no one's going to remember you on this earth. Can you remember anyone a hundred years back? How many times have you thought about your great grandparents Mm -hmm. or your ancestors? He's like, you know how many people have walked this earth and how many of them do you ever remember? I was like, damn, you know, and then I see like, okay, Benjamin Franklin, Albert Einstein, you know, like I start going through my head of a few people that like, I remember who've walked this earth long time ago for the most part. No, the majority of us live and die and are fucking forgotten. Yep. And he's like, I want you now to grapple with the insignificance of who you are. You are insignificant. You are dust. And I was like, damn, you're right. You're, you're right. Mm -hmm. I'm just dust. I'm just going to be dead one day. And then from the pile of the ashes, I start to see like a little flower bud start to like grow out of it. And I got the message that like, I wasn't yet at the end conclusion of what I was supposed to learn in this lesson. Like I didn't get there yet because the elevator opened and I had to go work. Mm -hmm. But I got the message something like, our egos are insignificant and like who we think are, we are, our ego, our somebody, our personality, our character is insignificant and it will be forgotten and it is ash, but our soul continues to live on and our soul is important. So that was kind of what I got from the flower kind of budding up, but I didn't get to the end of my lesson. So I'm going to have to do it again and, and figure out what the closing was. But that was kind of the sense was just like my, me, who I am, my ego, Anna, is insignificant and I'm dust. Yeah. And that's what being stood up was all about. Yep. No, that's, that's a wonderful lesson. It reminds me of the, this meme that I saw this week in which 
there was like a person with like a backpack on coming out of a cave being like, I'm going to go do some more medicine. And behind him was like this shadow figure that looked just like a a demon or a swamp monster or whatever coming out of the cave being like, integrate me, you know, because it was like... I'm just going to go do more practices, but I'm not going to integrate, you know, the me- the message was you need to stop and integrate your shadow. Yeah. Right. And it, it really reminds me too of like us talking about getting to that zero state, that nothing state. Like ultimately, if we all just turn into ash and dust, we are nothing. Like why are we clinging so hard onto certain things? Yeah. And that really ties in nicely with today's episode on Ram Dass is in almost every lecture I've listened to, he goes into, he calls it somebody training. We come on this earth and he calls it somebody training. He's like, you came here on earth. You came here in a spacesuit to become somebody. And you started to think that you were the spacesuit and you were the somebody. And he makes all these jokes and he says, you know, and then you go to a psychologist because you want to be more of a somebody and you want to be a successful somebody. And you finally realize that like all your somebody training, like your character, your personality training is so silly because you start to think that you are somebody and you are nobody. So he has a great lecture called, or a great, there's a great movie about him on Gaia, which I'll link. It's called Becoming Nobody. And essentially the spiritual path is to become nobody, to get back to your zero state and to shed off all the somebody training. He's like, your mom and dad were somebody's and they gave birth to you and they wanted you to be a somebody. And you've been in somebody training. And, and, and his message, in essence, if I could sum up his whole message, it's like, Stop being somebody. Be nobody. But anyways. That's awesome. I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing that. All right. Can... So should I go into my, my Ram Dass story? Yes. Yes. So. So interesting. I've been loving Like I, this is like, I like get popcorn whenever Anna sends me one of these texts, by the way. Like yeah, she's Ram been telling Dass. me about Ram Dass, about all of her, her amazing experiences that she's had with this. So buckle in with some popcorn all for right. these interesting stories. So I will start telling my story and then I'm going to go into the history of Ram Dass. But this all started about a month or two ago when my husband started playing Ram Dass lectures on our, our car trips. And my children even love these lectures. He's funny. He's, he speaks very simply and I really love it. And fast forward after hearing a couple of his lectures, I was taking a shower and lo and behold, I see Ram Dass in my bathroom. <laughs> Ram Dass standing in my bathroom and keep in mind he's he's been dead for three or four years no 2019 well, three years well I, you say that as if like he could actually be here like actually oh. I just wanted to come into your house Anna because I'm alive oh yeah <laughs> come into so, it how are you seeing him okay. just so we have context how were you seeing him in your mind's eye or did no. you see him with your actual eye? I was actually seeing him with my actual eyes he was standing in my bathroom okay yeah, after doing the primal work and the drama triangle work, my ability, my clairvoyance, which is that intuition to see things, and clairaudience, which is the ability to hear things, has gotten a lot stronger. So instead of him being in my mind's eye, he was actually in the bathroom. Okay. And he, in, in his very Ramdas way, he makes a joke like, I love the afterlife. I can come visit beautiful women while they're taking a shower. <laughs> like, totally a Ramdas thing to say. And I'm like, oh, hey. And I'm just like, whatever, he's dead. So I'm not like worried that there's another man in the bathroom. There's a man in the bathroom with me being naked. Now, you know, so I was like, okay, whatever. I'll just keep showering. And it's not about 
him perving on you. No, it didn't feel pervy. Literally like an energetic experience. Yeah, it didn't feel pervy. (laughs) Trust me. If there's another man in my bathroom watching me shower, it could feel pervy. No, it didn't feel pervy at all. It felt very, it was just fun. We're just chit-chatting. Yeah. And I'm like, I really love your lectures. I'm loving your stuff. How are you doing? And he's like, oh, I love, you know, we're just chit-chatting. And then I said to him, I said... I'm really interested in psychedelics. Like you, you teach a lot about how you use psychedelics to attain glimpses of what it's like to be enlightened before you became enlightened. And I'm curious, should I be taking psychedelics? He goes, Anna, you're talking to a dead man in the shower. Do you really think you need psychedelics? (laughs) He's like, you don't need it. You weren't even meditating. I just showed up. I don't think you need psychedelics. I'm like, okay, okay. Thanks for answering that question. And then we just keep talking, keep talking. And then I said to him, well, like, how do I know that you really, you're really here and I'm not just making you up? He goes, okay. And then he quickly contorts himself to look the way he looked before he died. So, so like the right side of his lip went, he had a stroke. Yeah. So his, the right side of his body went flaccid. So I was like, okay, so you had a left-sided brain stroke, which means the right side of your body was affected. Okay. So I'm going to look at that later. He's like, yeah, I want you to look at that later because up till now I hadn't watched any videos of him. I'd only been listening to lectures on, on, in my husband's car. He's like, I want you to look because he's like you, I know how you are and you're going to think that you weren't really talking to me, but go look. And after the, the shower, I went and looked it up on Google and sure enough, he did have a stroke that affected his left side of the brain, which then gave him right-sided some paralysis and some aphasia, meaning difficulty speaking. So he, he did have a stroke in his older age. So that was nice confirmation for me that I wasn't necessarily making him up because he told me, he's like, I know you and you're going to think you're not, you know, you're making, I mean, you're you making gotta get all medical about it. He's right? like, let me just give you like a little bit. Here's, here's some little, here's a little grain of, of facts to just kind of validate that you're talking to me. And I'm like, great. And so since that experience, I have since asked him to be my guru and I'll talk about that in a little bit. And I have been talking to him more and more and we've, I'll, I'll go into more things as they come up, but he's basically become my teacher from the other side. And it's great because I don't, I don't ever really feel a lot of trust in gurus. I'm always very suspicious of gurus. Any experience I have with meeting enlightened people in this, in this world, I've never like been like, will you be my guru? Like, you know, like my husband had a guru and I got Shakti pot for him, but I never felt like, like surrendering to him or following him. I'm just very, very skeptical of gurus. So it's really nice to have a dead guru because I don't (laughs) feel like there's any threat of, of drinking some Kool-Aid. And, and so far, everything he's been telling me has been completely consistent with his teaching. So I do believe I'm speaking to him. Oh, I just saw him smile in the corner. I could just feel him in the room. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I I think I totally saw him as well. Yes. That was something else. Anyway. Okay. So now we're going to go into Ram Dass. So Ram Dass, and this is might be why him and I, he, he, he fell into Hindu Buddhism, but he was born Jewish and we have similar, like kind of inappropriate senses of humor. So maybe this is why he's supposed to be my guru. (laughs) But anyways, Ram Dass was born Richard Alpert in April of 1931 he went on to be a very successful psychoanalyst. He studied at Stanford University. He got his PhD in 1957 from Stanford. And then he went on to Harvard to teach psychology. And this I love. He was kicked out of Harvard in 1963 for giving uh, psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, to students. So while he was doing his psychological study, or while he was teaching psychology, he started getting into psychedelics, mushrooms, LSD, etc. He was experiencing 
we could say the fifth dimension. He was experiencing expansion of consciousness and limitless, you know, all that you would haven't ever done it. And apparently I don't need to, but apparently all sorts of great fifth dimensional stuff. Yep. So he was kicked out of Harvard in 63 and then his mother died of some sort of splenic condition in 67 and he somehow ended up in India because he had heard that in India there are enlightened people and he was on this quest to have what he, have the experience he was having when he was on psychedelics but then have them last that like Timothy Leary if you've heard of yeah yeah, yeah. was also working with him and so they were both like on this quest to make it last but like when the drug wore off the experience wore off and he said that he'd be in the experience he's like this is it I'm home I'm back where I've always wanted to be I'm home again I'm free the the somebody training like my astronaut suit has fallen off I'm not somebody I'm nobody this is amazing and then the drug would wear off and he's back to slowly becoming somebody but now he could see that he was somebody pretending to be somebody. Yeah. He's like, I want it to last. What do I do? And so he was like, meditation is what I need to do. I need to go find a, an enlightened being in India and learn from them because clearly they know something that these drugs aren't letting me stay there. So he's like, I want to go. And this reminds me of a beautiful quote by, by I think Timothy Leary. If someone knows who really wrote this quote or said this quote, send me a, a DM because I, I, I can't cite the right person. But the quote is something like, Drugs allow you to look at the window into God's home, but meditation brings you to the door and allows you to sit at God's table. Mm. So I really, I really think that's appropriate. So because of that kind of idea, he goes to India in search of a guru and he finds and hears about someone named Neem Karoli Baba. And he has a great story about while he's on his like trek through the Indian wilderness trying to find Neem Karoli Baba that the guy who accompanied him just kept being like, he'd be like, I was a great Harvard psychologist. And the guy's like, be here now. He's like, and I use, you know, and I got my PhD at Stanford. He's like, great, great, great. Be here now. He's like, and I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to get enlightened. The guy's like, yes, yes, yes. Be here now. (laughs) So, so he finally gets to where Neem Karoli Baba is and he hasn't met him yet. And it's a starry night, starry sky. And he stands up and he looks at the sky and he has a great longing for his mother. And he's just overwhelmed with the grief that he has for losing his mother. Now, the next day he meets Neem Karoli Baba. And as soon as he meets him, one of the first things that uh, Maharaji, Mm -hmm. as they call him, which just means the grand sir, or, you know, the great one kind of thing. Neem Karoli Baba says to him within the first minutes of meeting him, he says, I saw you last night. You were standing under the starry sky missing your mother who just died. And, and Richard Alpert's like, what the hell? How did, how did he know? Like, I didn't tell anyone. Like, there's no way he could have known. How did he know that's what I was thinking? How did he know that my mother died? And he goes, your mother died of some splenic complications. And it just, he said that it just blasted right through him. The miracle of Neem Karoli Baba being all-knowing mind reading, whatever you want to call it. The fact that he was able to completely transcend what, what Richard Alpert could explain scientifically or logically, it, it just blew him away. And he said that he felt in that moment so much love that he had never felt before. And he studied with Neem Karoli Baba and he eventually ended up writing a book in 1971. So that was about four years later. Okay. And so... When Neem Karoli Baba told him that, or Maharaji Ji, we'll just call him for short, even though that's probably as many syllables, <laughs> he said he felt so much love that he had never felt. He felt that that 
Maharaji was looking through him in a way that no one had ever looked at him and that he felt love in a way he had never felt. And he stayed with him and studied under him. And he has so many great stories in his lectures about, you know, what it would be like to live in the presence of a saint or a, a guru, enlightened mm-hmm. being. And he tells one story of how Neem Karoli Baba once said to him, okay, show me your psychedelics. Like, show me like what you've been doing to kind of taste enlightenment. This is before he got enlightenment. Lighten. And he shows him a packet of LSD. And Maharaji says, give it to me. And he puts, he puts the whole bottle in his mouth and it was the equivalent of like 12 full doses of LSD and Ramdas is like what the hell and nothing happened (laughs) nothing happened because he was already there Neem Karoli Baba already lived in the fifth dimension right so so he didn't have to so he had no effect of LSD because he was already living there always wow and that was again another miracle which we'll talk about in a minute but just to explain why we call him Ram Das and not Richard Alpert, is there something called sannyasin? And so when you become a sannyasin, you take a sannyasin name, and that is basically you're giving up your old worldly life to become a sannyasi, to become someone who is devoted to the spiritual path, and then you're usually gifted a name by your teacher. So in this situation, Richard Alpert became Ram Das, which means servant to God. I don't know the details. I assume Neem Karoli Baba gave him that name. Yeah. But that's usually how sannyasi names are. So if you've heard of like someone who, you know, their name changes and it becomes a Sanskrit name, it's because they've taken sannyasin. Right, right. And and as a connection... Or they've taken sannyas. Right. So, and as a connection to previous episodes that we've had about this, I've talked about my yoga teacher at Kashi Atlanta, who is Swami Jayadevi or Acharya Swami Devi now. Her teacher is Ma, and Ma's teacher was Neem Karoli Baba. So for me, like, and other people who were students... So your teacher is... We have the same grandfather teacher in a way. Yeah, exactly. I never got a sannyasa name from, but a lot of people at Kashi have names that are sannyasa names that the Swami has given them. And Krishna Das, who is a very popular... Singer, yeah. Yeah, Kirtan. Kirtan singer in particular because it's a bhakti And he was friends with, I think, Ram Das. I think he was also... He was Neem Karli Baba's guru's uh, Um, disciple as well. Right. Yeah, so basically you have three major people in U.S. yogic experiences being Ma, Krishna Das, and Ram Das all came from Neem Karoli Baba. And I believe Neem Karoli Baba was a disciple of Hanuman, which is the monkey god. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Cool. Right. So we'll go into that later. But anyways, so Richard Alpert, now is Ram Das, wrote a book in 1971 called Be Here Now, which I have not read, but very often when I'm talking to Ram Das and I'm saying, I want to, I want to know what Samadhi feels like. He's like, be here now. <laughs> yep. It, and it's funny cause he'll say that and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and so I can, I be here now is actually been inspiring me because it's not like a book. It's not like a regular book. It's a very visual, symbolic book, right? Oh, like, I've not read it. Yeah, it's square it. and it has a whole bunch of pictures and diagrams there's and words the and cover. there's mandalas. Like the whole thing has very, very few words and almost no sentences to oh. speak of, right? I've been inspired by it because I, because I think that it actually communicates in a different way. So for me, I've been slowly writing a book. I first wrote a book that was however many pages or however many words. 
And then I started to realize that actually the best way to communicate these things is not necessarily through the mental mind, like not through the experience of reading and through the language centers, that actually the visual centers are maybe the better way to convey that. And it was Be Here Now that was the true inspiration for that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So Ram Dass went on to make some foundations. He made the Hanumam's foundation in the 70s. Hanumam is the little monkey god in Hinduism. You've seen him? Yeah. What does he represent? I don't know. Let me see. He also created a li- the, something called the Living and Dying Project, which in the 80s, which was, I'm thinking it was like a death doula kind of thing, mm-hmm. where it, kind of a hospice thing. And he would say that it would be so beautiful to be in the presence of someone dying because no matter how egoic they were, oftentimes that ego, that somebody would fall off at the end and they, they would, would become, just become nobody, nobody. Hanuman is a symbol of strength and energy. He is worshipped for his unyielding devotion to Rama and is remembered for his selfless dedication to the God. Hanuman is considered the living embodiment of the karma yogi. Okay. Right. So the karma yogi being the one who uses acts of service to reach enlightenment. Selfless Selfless acts of service to reach enlightenment. That makes sense. So in the 70s and 80s, he had these projects. He actually had an ashram or a center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And in 1997, he had a a stroke, a CVA, resulting in expressive aphasia, which is difficulty being able to say the words that you want to say. And if you hear some of his lectures after his stroke, he, he speaks a lot slower and you can tell he has some word choice difficulties, but he then went on to die in 2019 at 88 years of age. But I believe that he welcomed death because one of his great teachings was death is one of the most important things we're going to do. And he also, well, he talks about so many things. One of my favorite quotes of Ram Dass is he says, everybody is just God in drag. And I love that. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that is just a a quick synopsis of Ram Dass. And now I'm going to tell you, after listening to his lectures, what are the eight most meaningful teachings that he has? Sweet. Okay. So the first one is be here now be here now. We think that somewhere else is more special than right here, right now, that some other lesson is more important right here, right now. No, you, as he told me in target, you do not need to be. Yes. I don't know if you heard that episode, but him, he was talking to me in target. I was doing some shopping and he was like, you know, he told me this, he said, you think that you need to go to India and go, go, kiss the feet of a guru or study in the, the caves of Tibet, you know, go meet Neem Curly Baba. He's like, you don't have to target is just as good. Wherever you are is just as good. Like anywhere you are is the right place to wake up. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be anywhere special to wake up. You don't need to be anyone special to wake up. Yep. It's always right. Like right here and right now, whatever is happening right here, whoever's listening to this podcast, if you're in your car, you're on a walk, you're washing dishes, whatever you're doing, look around you. That situation is the best situation for you to wake up and be here now, regardless of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the mundane. It's in the mundane. If we're constantly looking for super mundane experiences in order to be an excuse, then we're always going to have an excuse. Right. So the excuse is what keeps you from waking up, but there's nothing 
nothing, not a prison, not a person that's keeping you from waking up, but yourself. Lesson number two, when we die, the ego dies, but not the soul. We go somewhere else. As much as possible, observe people dying and see how beautiful it can be. Mm. I'm so compelled to do that these days. <laughs> you have a calling to be a death dealer. I you? do, I do. <laughs> we'll see if I answer the call. Yeah. Number three, in India there is a saying, guru, God, and self is the same. Guru, God, and self is one. You don't need a guru. You don't need a live guru. You don't need a dead guru. God can be your guru or you can find the guru within. So he, he talks about, they're all interchangeable. Guru, God, and self. Like you don't need to go find a guru. You don't need to, you know, there's one inside you. Yeah. And you don't need to go find God. God is inside you or go find God, however you want to call him. And I have a really great story about this, if I can share. Yeah. So I'm going to go back in time and tell you how this lesson came to me in a different way, but I think it's equally beautiful. About, about 10 years ago, I was friends with a devotee of Sai Baba. I had met her at a Vipassana course and she was Indian and she was extremely devoted to Sai Baba. So if you haven't heard of Sai Baba, he's this man or Satya Sai Baba, cause there's two Sai Babas, the reincarnation of Sai Baba, which is controversial is Satya Sai Baba and the original Sai Baba. So in India and in South India, there is a, a, a saint or a guru named Satya Sai Baba, and he's considered a holy man who does a lot of materialization. So like, for example, he will materialize rings and watches for his devotees and people who have his photos in their home will say that they'll wake up one morning and there'll be this special dust, this holy dust on the photo. He will just make a lot of like physical miracles happen. And so a lot of people think that he's like a magician or a con man, but his devotees truly believe in him. And she wore a ring that he gave her that he materialized out of nothing. And it's extremely special to her. And so me being the open-minded, you know, I want to see, learn everything kind of person on the spiritual path. She invited me to go to her Satya Sai Baba temple and just see what was going on. So she had so many stories. She was in her sixties and I was in my twenties and we would go on walks together and we would hang out. It was so cool to have a, an older friend. I don't know what ever happened to her, but anyways, that side note, she would just tell me all these amazing Sai Baba stories. And I was just like, this is so cool. I love this. She would tell me these stories and I went to the temple with her a few times. And then I started having some very vivid dreams about him. So I woke up from one of the dreams one day and I'm like, all right, if this guy really is an avatar, he claims to be an avatar, not a guru, an avatar meaning an incarnation of God directly. Like there's no guru in it. He's just God. I was like, all right, if he really is an avatar, I want him. Well, okay. Let me just go back for a second. So I was having all these dreams about Sai Baba after learning about him from her. I had a very explicit dream in when she said to me, what was one will now be two. And then the following day, I found two of the same sweaters in my closet. It was so freaky. It freaked me the fuck out because I'm like putting my laundry away and I see, he said, no, he said, where there was one, there will be two. And there was suddenly two of the exact same sweaters in my closet. And I'm like, what the hell? What the hell? And then there ended up being a logical explanation. It turned out that in class, There was labs and the girl who switched chairs with me in the lab, she had the same sweater as me. She took it off. She left it in my chair and then we went back to our own desks. So when I sat in that chair at the end of the day and I took home my sweater, it had been the sweater of a classmate, but I didn't know that. 
So there was a logical explanation why there was one, there was now two, but it still really fucked with my head. So I said to myself, I made an announcement. I said, okay, Sai Baba, if you truly are an avatar, if you truly are God, I want you to send me a sign and I want you to make that sign completely like I cannot... Uh, 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 incontestable. Like yeah. it's like, it's just, it, it is absolutely yeah. that. God, yeah. I want you to send me a sign and I want you to make the sign so that like, I know you are avatar that all these stories, my friend is telling me is true. I really, I really want something and I want it to be this. And I said, this is what I want by Friday at noon. It was like a Monday by Friday at noon. I want you to send me a flower, one flower. And I want it to be to me by 12 o'clock. So my idea was that like one that like, I, someone was going to send me a flower. I was going to find a flowers. I was going to find a flower on my doorstep. I mean, I didn't know how it was going to come to me, but I wanted one flower, only one flower, not a bouquet. And I wanted it to come to me and only me. So the week goes on. I'm caught up in my graduate studies and I kind of forgot about this like request that I made. And it's about 12 o'clock on Friday and I finish my exam and I decide to go eat at Rusan's, which is like this sushi restaurant here in Atlanta. And I was alone. So I sit at the bar by myself and I order my food and I look at my watch and it's 1230 and I'm like, oh, it's past 12. I never got my flower. So I guess like he's not really God. And I'm handed my plate and guess what it was? A flower. A flower. Yeah. The, the chef had arranged all my sushi in the shape of one flower, one flower. Okay. And then I look down the full bar. And I see everyone else's plates and no one else had a flower on their plate. So I got one flower and it was to me and only me. And I look at my watch and I, I'm getting chills on my, like just thinking about it. And I was like, oh my God, like he's playing a trick on me because it's 30 minutes past 12. Yeah. But I got my one flower and it was to me and only me. And it was like irrefutable, mm-hmm. like I requested. And then immediately, you know what the next thought was? oh fuck now I have to be a Sai Baba devotee and I'm thinking how weird it is to be like devoted to this guy when he's just like crazy looking and I'm like oh shit now I have to be a Sai Baba devotee you know like that's my like I'm in the presence of, of a, a pseudo miracle and my first thought is oh shit now I have to be a devotee of this guy <laughs> and then I hear clear as day in my ear you know what he says I hear him say just be devoted to love and truth And it felt so good because I grew up with such an image of a jealous, angry, tyrannical God. And to hear that voice in my ear just say, just be devoted to love and truth. Like he didn't care if I worshiped him as Sai Baba. Like he didn't fucking care if I was a devotee of him or not. He just wanted me to be devoted to love and truth. And that was it. Like whatever form that will take for me, whether it be Sai Baba, Ram Dass, Neem Karoli Baba, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just be devoted to love and truth. And I was like... I like exhaled. I was like, Oh, well, that's, that's awesome. So that lesson was very important to me. Of course I told my friend and she just loved it. She's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds just like him. And he has a sense of humor. That's why he came at 1230. But it really ties in well into this guru God and self thing. Like you don't need a guru. You don't need a God. You don't need anyone. You've got yourself and you just be devoted to love and truth and whatever that shows up as devote yourself to it. Yeah. Yeah, I you know it's interesting because I've had again multiple different opportunities to have a guru of some sort, and I remember once I asked in a channeling. I was with a channeling with someone, and I said, "I feel like every time I want to devote myself to a person or a religion or a type or anything like that, I feel like I always get kind of 
kicked out. I just not kicked out isn't the right word, but kind of lurched out of the system. Like something happens to like really shake my foundation and be like, is this what I really want to do? And the angel guide said in response to the question was they were just like, for you, you've in past lives, you've been deeply and, and devoted your entire life to, to doing multiple different spiritual paths. And that's not your role in this one. You know, in this one, your doubt and those experiences of being quote unquote, like kicked out of, of all of these different lineages is serving you to find the guru, that, within. The guru within. I love it. And, and, and I've just kept with that. There's never, ever been a situation where I have ever felt like I would benefit from, from having a guru. And I have a babysitter who's like, you know, who I got when I got Shakti Pa, who's like Maharaji, Ramana Maharishi is like my babysitter. We call him, by the way, we call him babysitter because this guru that we know when he gives you Shakti Pa, he opens your Kundalini, you get assigned, you get assigned a teacher from the other side. And, and, we, and call, we called it the babysitter. We called it a babysitter because it was it was just there to be like, if you had any questions, I'm always just like, nope. I, I Even if I, there's a part of me that really wants to, like, because I want to be safe and be like, you just tell me what to do. Like, whoever you are, just tell me what to do so I don't have to actually question anything or I can just do exactly what you say, but it just never works out that way. Yeah. It yeah. never works out. Maybe someday. Or maybe not. Maybe you don't need it. You are your own guru. Maybe. Love and truth. Number four, the fourth lesson that I enjoyed from Ramdas's lectures are, even with enlightenment, neuroticism does not cease. And I want to bring that up because he says in a lot of his lectures, he's like, I was really surprised when he became enlightened that first of all, there was grief for the ego. Like he was actually sad to let go of that somebody that he thought he was, which I thought was interesting. That's so interesting. And the other thing he talked about was that he thought his neuroticisms would cease to exist, but they didn't. Like enlightenment doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't make you not neurotic. They're still there. They just didn't control them anymore. He's like, they're still there. I just don't react to them as much. And they're quieter. It's like the volume has been turned down, but he still sees them. So like whatever his sexual kinks, you know, I don't know, but his sexual kinks or his obsessions or his weird little quirks or whatever. It's not like he got enlightened and he's suddenly not, he's suddenly beyond all that. Like they're still like, he's, they're still there. His brain is still the you know, the synapses in his brain were still there. So he's going to still have those things. And I think that's really comforting to know because we're all on this path to liberation Mo- or most of us, or all of us are unconsciously on that path. And then right. some of you listening are consciously on this path to liberation. And you might think, well, gosh, I got all hung up and being stood up again. And oh gosh, my primal wound of abandonment's coming up again. And oh gosh, I must have relationship OCD. Like whatever your little quirks and neuroticisms are, don't think that enlightenment is your escape from them. Enlightenment is simply going to be your accepting of them. Yeah. That's, that's really nice. It's really nice to know that the spaceship kind of affects the expression of the love and truth as it comes through us, as it shines through, it's going to shine in a different kind of kaleidoscope to some other person, you know, and you, you put it in the, put the light in this person and it shines blue, put the, put the light in this person and it shines right. purple, like we're right? Not, like when we all get enlightened, we're not going to all suddenly all act the same. We're not going to all act like Neem Karoli Baba or Ram Das or you know ma or whoever like we're going to shine and that's beautiful and i love it number five miracles are meant to question your reality so he talks about miracles of neem karoli baba being able to 
know everything about him being omniscient, omniscient, yeah, being omniscient and also being able to take an entire 12 doses of acid and have absolutely nothing happen. And he says that miracles exist to make you question reality. And I really love that because, you know, in Christianity, there's so much emphasis on Jesus walking on water and rising from the dead and breaking the loaves or breaking, you know, turning, what did he do? Water into wine and Mm -hmm. something about bread and fish. And what I really love about that and, and same thing, miracles are meant for us to question our reality and, and to really wonder like, what is this third dimension? What's really happening here? What can happen? There must be more than this place. So miracles in a way are so beautiful because they make you ask like, where am I? Where yeah. else, where else, what else can happen here? Yeah, exactly. And I would say that the Christian miracles are meant to validate, they're meant to create like, oh, well, this person is this, so therefore I must believe this. Whereas I feel like the miracles you're talking about are the opposite. Like, I don't have to believe this. I don't have to believe a certain thing because Jesus turned water into wine. Like, I don't have to believe. Now, Now, now because that miracle happens, that means it's even more valid. It's like, no, no, no. It's actually the opposite. Because this miracle happened, all the rules are out the window. Right. You know? It's, Yeah. It, it's the it's the magical realism that we both love. Like, you know, it's like, hey, actually you think that reality is this way and this miracle happens and it, and it helps you, you know, see it as this is not the way right. that the reality is. And that is. reminds me of another experience I had of Ram Dass was just the other day I was driving to work and out of the blue, Ram Dass sticks his head through my windshield so that we're face to face. And I go, ooh, it just kind of kind of creeped me out that there's a face coming out of my windshield. And I'm like, sit in my passenger seat. And he quickly, you know, go sit in my passenger seat and he starts making a joke. He's what, he's like, what, even your visions of me have to conform to this third dimension? You know, like, like, yeah, he didn't say third dimension. I can't remember what he said, but it was like, he was just like, like what, even your miracles need to come forward. <laughs> and I told my husband the story. He's like, what are you going to ask for next to him? put on for him to put on a seatbelt. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we constantly trying to make every, our miracles conform to logic and reason. Like when I found the two sweaters in my closet. I should have just taken, you know, I should have, there's no shoulds, but you know, I could have just been like, wow, there's where there was one, there is now two. Like that was an amazing message, but I was like, no, there's gotta be a logical reason for this. But you know what I'm saying? The miracles are there to just remind us that there's so much more. Yeah. There's so much more. All right. Number six, drugs can be a gateway to the divine or sorry, drugs can be a gateway to get to the zero state, but they will not last. So for anyone listening who is curious about drugs, ayahuasca, peyote, magic mushrooms, LSD, microdosing, all that, if you are curious or are if you are doing them, just know that those are just temporary windows into the zero state. Like if you want to go to the zero state and stay there, there's only one way and that is through meditation and essentially the unraveling of your ego or your somebody training. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, I, I would contest that there are probably a lot of different ways. I think a very good way is to go through the meditation. And can I just add to that? Yeah. 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 Well, and meditation can mean a lot of things, but I mean, yeah. being present in the be here now kind of thing. Right. Right. So I remember once I had a really intense trip and I still have this picture because I, I drew a picture 
and I drew a picture of someone. It was like at the bottom of the page was like reality, mundane reality. And then at the top of the page was like the zero state. It was like divine enlightenment. And the picture I drew was like that on one version, there was like all these books stacked up and that someone was literally trying to get to enlightenment by stacking books, by, by just putting more and more and more and more knowledge in their head, right? Like, which is kind of, you could say... The jhana yoga. Maybe, but I, I feel like jhana yoga is like different in the sense that it's actually asking you to use your intellect to question your reality oh, yeah. and dismantle versus, everything. Versus wisdom versus... Accumulation of knowledge. Right. Right. And what was apparent in that first picture was that you were never going to get to it. You're like, literally you could stack books for miles and miles and miles and you would never get there until you actually found a different way. And then the next picture was, was doing drugs, right? So it was like doing psychedelic drugs. And what happened was that this person kept blinking in my vision, this person kept blinking from this reality to enlightened reality and just blinking back and forth. Like it was just like this oh, really quick, drugs. right. When they were on the drugs, they were blinking back and forth. They were experiencing that enlightenment, but it was only just from fleeting moment. And then they were back on the earth and then meditation. And then, you know, the experience of actually, you know, we say doing the work, but it's kind of a fallacy to even say doing the work to be here now isn't work, you know, like we, that was what actually made it lasting. So it's interesting that you're saying that Ram Dass said all this because I totally had that vision. Yeah. Uh, well, truth is eternal. 20 years ago. I love it. Yeah. Now the seventh lesson that I love from Ram Dass is that self-discovery never ends. He discusses that self-discovery never ends. He discusses that even as he's enlightened and he's giving his lectures, he himself needs to listen to his own lectures, you know? That, you know, you don't just get to an end point. Like, you don't just hit enlightenment and you're done. Self-discovery never ends. And one thing he discusses is that there are so many different planes of you. There are, there are, there is the soul you, there is the ego you, there is this you, there is that you. And he says, opening yourself up and expanding is when you can be both at the same time. Mm. And he says, it doesn't matter which two you choose but try to expand yourself to be more than one of you at the same time. Like see when you're talking to someone, their soul behind their eyes, the God in drag. And, and so you're connecting not just on the ego level, but you're connecting on that other level. He could calls it radio channels. You know, he says, okay, number one radio channel is like very, very much ego stuff. And number two is like, okay, a little anthropological, anthropological more like, okay, well this social structure and this, you know yeah, a bit more like the observer. yeah like yeah. enneagram and this and that and then the third station is the god station where like we're all just god and drag we're all just consciousness so he's like as much as possible try to be on two different radio stations at the same time to expand your understanding of this reality so self-discovery never ends awesome i love that all right and then the last one which is my favorite one save the best for last and this one has been helping me in so many ways. This is like such a good one. Okay. It is. We are all in a process of waking up. And in that process of waking up, we are waking and falling back asleep. Waking and falling back asleep. And if you can just change your perspective, kind of like stand five feet back and observe that you are in a process of waking and sleeping. And in the grand scheme of things, you are waking up that that falling back asleep, that becoming unconscious again, that going from the zero state to the ego state and going back and forth, that beyond that, taking a few steps back and observing it just a little bit 
from a little more distance, you can see that it's all a process of waking up. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful that, that, and it also ties so perfectly into the Buddha's teaching in the Dhammapada, which is, so in the Dhammapada, Buddha says, there's three things to be aware of. The rising and passing of physical states, that would be sensations on the body. The rising and passing of mental states, meaning this thought comes, this thought goes. And then the rising and passing of consciousness. And that's what he's talking about. Observe the rising and falling of your own awakeness. You know, you are going to have times when you're just an autopilot and blind reaction and total egoism. And just, just when you are in it, try to take a step back and observe there I am not being conscious there. I am being asleep. And that's part of the grand game of me waking up. Mm. Please be sure to write a review and rate us on iTunes. It helps people find us. Thanks so much. And remember humility, gratitude, acceptance done are you afraid of turning into a hungry ghost after you die if you're anything like me the thought of becoming one of the many wandering spirits left over on this plane of existence after you die may keep you awake at night fear not the this spiritual fix podcast has your back when it comes to graceful transitions into the afterworld We have put together a package on helping you develop your lucid dreaming techniques, which, according to historic spiritual texts, is one of the best-known ways to transition safely, with no delays, into the collective unconscious afterworld. Visit our store on our website, thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop, to purchase our dream package. For a limited time only, you can also use Die Well as a code for 15% off. Results are guaranteed and you are welcome to send us an email from the afterworld if you have a less than satisfactory experience. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.